0: This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. This is a Roger Stone, and this is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Joining me today is one of the country's most prominent and respected criminal defense attorneys, David Schoen, very ably represented President Donald Trump uh in his first impeachment. Uh, and he is a shrewd uh analyst uh, not only uh, of the courtroom and legal situations, but he is that rare lawyer who understands the impact of media, media coverage, politics, uh, and the entire overlay that one must take into consideration in analyzing any legal case uh, that is extraordinarily prominent. I am particularly honored to have David Schoen. Uh, Welcome to the show here, David.
1: It's my honor to be on it. Thank you very much.
0: So, David, uh, from a political point of view, uh, and I'm just a political analyst, I'm obviously not an attorney, uh, but I have never seen uh, political strength like this uh, on behalf of President Donald Trump. In a, in a, in a way that is counterintuitive, uh, his candidacy for president, his ability to raise the resources for a candidacy for president, uh, his poll numbers uh, have merely gained with every civil or criminal indictment against him in any and every jurisdiction. Normally speaking, when a candidate for public office is charged with a criminal offense, uh, their money dries up, their support dries up, and very soon their candidacy dries up. Uh, what I've seen here is the exact opposite, and therefore I have fewer and fewer reservations about Donald Trump's ability to win the house, White House, in the next election. Uh, my only concern, or I should say, my largest concern, is this tsunami of lawfare that has been filed against him. So I'd like to go into these cases, kind of one by one, to get your. Expert analysis, because I'm trying to figure out how this all comes out. Uh, The case that has gotten the most coverage recently—it's a civil case. Uh, It is a case in which New York State Attorney General Letitia James essentially accused the Trump Organization, Donald Trump, and other executive members of his family of—I'm not really uh, sure—of over evaluating the value of assets in order to get loans from banks, loans that appear to me to have been paid back in full. Uh, What is this all about?
1: All right, so a great question, of course, since it's coming from you. I want to just remark on your prefatory comment, that you're only coming at this from a political perspective. I think, quite frankly, that is the primary perspective that's most important here, because I think that each of these prosecutions and the civil case are politically motivated they're to um advance a partisan political agenda stop Donald Trump at all costs i think it reflects back to jerry nadler's comment in congress we can't trust the voters therefore that is an unamerican a comment as I, uh, as i've ever heard especially from a congressman um and the idea is that all energies have to be uh Marshals to stop President Trump from becoming president again. I think that's what's at the heart of it. But yeah, I think that this present case uh, being litigated in New York um, certainly highlights the problem. But each of them does in its own reason. This case, just so that the listeners are aware, um, is you know you hit some of the central points. But it's an extremely broad and subject to abuse law called uh, New York Executive Law 6312, 12 in parentheses. Um, gives very broad powers to the Attorney General. It gives, virtually unfettered powers. gives very broad, broad powers to the judge, um, a judge in this case who has already proven himself to be a political partisan, a, a Trump hater. And unlike every other fraud statute, it doesn't require any victim in the case, any loss. You said, you know, you understood bank loans have been paid back. Of course, that's right. Um, usually, you know, the traditional notion of fraud is Someone says or does something, and somebody else relies on that to their detriment. That's sort of the definition of fraud, a material fact somebody else relies on to their detriment. Somebody's hurt by it. This statute doesn't require that at all. In fact, there's a case under it that says the traditional elements of fraud have been abandoned under this statute. And so it's just up to the discretion of a judge who, in this case, appears to be usurping the role of expert witnesses on valuation but basically the case is just what you said they're accusing president trump of overstating the values of properties undercut credibility wise of course by the reference to mar-a-lago being valued at perhaps 18 million dollars in reality no, there's no resemblance to reality um nobody could pick up that kind of property for any multiple of that number but um so that's what we're talking about so even if it were puffery so to speak, um, they're penalizing that now. They want to strip him of his business licenses in New York. They want to have someone else take over some of his properties and run his business because they don't like the valuation he put on. it. even though no one ever relied to that, to the on that to their detriment, nobody lost anything. He's Donald Trump. They completely uh devalue the value of the brand of Trump. That's why his properties one of the reasons why his properties are worth more than somebody might otherwise think even objectively. They're the kinds of properties that some foreigner might come if they were able to afford it would pay many multiples market value for, and that's all relevant to valuation. Um, it's an absurd case, but if anyone wondered, you know, why it's brought, they should look at the timing. It's not coincidental that this is brought during the election year, and especially now, he's leading in the polls by far. Same reason the other cases were brought. Donald Trump, as you well know, you've known him a lot longer than I have and a lot better, has been operating his businesses as an international brand for decades. Why, all of a sudden, now in the course of an election campaign, do they choose to bring this? And what should be most offensive, perhaps, to the listeners is by a prosecutor who ran on a platform of getting Donald Trump. That doesn 't go ethically in our system we don 't have prosecutors who single out citizens they don 't like or they 're afraid of or they don 't want to be holding public office and single them out to go after with the resources of the state it 's outrageous it 's unethical, never should have happened but that uh, last thing I want to say I know i 'm talking an awful lot. The last thing I want to say is that to me is partially what explains his uh, a resounding lead in the polls. I think it's certainly policy-based and all of that. People harken back to that time instead of this kind of economy and this kind of world unstable, uh, unstable world, that sort of thing. But I think basically Americans are fair-minded, and they see this piling on, and they see these kinds of claims. They don't understand a fraud claim without any loss, that sort of thing. And I think that catapults them even higher in the polls. That's my view.
0: Uh, so this is my understanding in this particular case while the appeals court stayed any immediate action regarding the status of his business licenses or his properties, they did not stay the actual trial, which will now go forward, correct?
1: That's right. I think what happened is the, his lawyers uh, tried to get the uh, stay put on the taking away of his business certificates and licenses and having a third party take them over and tried to stop the trial I think that the attorney general fought them on trying to stop the trial, and so the, court of, the appellate division uh, ruled in her favor on that. The trial goes forward, but the attorney general conceded that the uh, business license, uh, taking away the business licenses and so on, should be stayed until there's a judgment in the case, and so the Court of Appeals agreed with both parties on that and stayed that, so they're not taking away the properties right away. But can you imagine properties that were built up over literally decades on the brand Trump taken away because they don't like the valuations he put on it, notwithstanding expert opinion on the other side of the equation, and so on, from a judge who's had two other major cases with developers, ruled against the developer in each case, and been reversed each time.
0: Yeah, I have talked to several, but one particular real estate appraiser uh, in South Florida, who's widely respected, who who told me the evaluation of of mar lago at 18 million was a joke he said first of all i'm not sure you could put a number on it it's valuable because of its iconic nature and then when you add the fact that it it both fronts on the intercoastal uh waterway as well as the atlantic ocean which is very rare uh in uh, on palm beach island uh he's not sure you could put a number on it but he says it's certainly in excess of 300 million could be as much as $500 million. He said, I'm not sure you could really ever put a number on it. It's kind of what somebody would be willing to pay for it. And he said, in this case, somebody might be willing to pay as much as $1 billion. Uh, let's uh, touch, if we can, on the other uh, local New York case. We can do this quickly, the so-called business records case. This one uh, makes me scratch my head because uh, this seems to me to should have been a civil case. But somehow this so-called hush money case uh, based solely on the claims uh, of a former porn star uh, and one of Trump's former lawyers somehow became a criminal case. How did this happen?
1: Yeah, it's outrageous. And again, you've got a district attorney in this case who ran on a platform of being the one candidate who's going to who vowed to get Trump, get a conviction of Trump, a man who was a citizen, wasn't even under investigation at the time. You also know that the case sat around in the office and that uh, the powers that be in the office, including the district attorney himself, did not feel this case should ever be brought. The special counsel brought in from a private law firm, Mark Pomeranz, has written a book about this. And in the book, he acknowledges that the bosses and the different divisions were against this case, didn't think it, should, it was merited or should be brought, but it was brought anyway. Um, I think the case is fundamentally flawed from the start in the charging document. This is a case in which they have a cockamamie way of rigging it into a felony. They charge um, uh, doctoring business records in order to commit a felony, and they don't charge what the target crime is. So one can speculate, oh, well, they've talked about uh, tax impropriety, so maybe it's about taxes, or they've talked about interfering with the election, that Stormy Daniels was paid hush money to affect the election. One can't possibly effectively defend this case without knowing what the crime is that they were supposedly doctoring business records to hide. They're completely different defenses depending on what the target crime is. And it wouldn't do any good now for the district attorney just to uh, give them a bill of particulars or somehow specify what they think the crime was. You're entitled to an indictment from the grand jury. The grand jury clearly didn't decide what the felony was supposed to be, the target of the doctoring the business records. I think the thing has to be thrown out, but they have a judge who's a real Trump hater. Also, not coincidental, he was assigned to the Trump Organization case, another civil case. He was assigned to the Bannon case that's uh, gone going now, and the Trump case, they have a lot of judges there. They have a problem in that court uh, that's been documented in the past of having the district attorney handpick judges to oversee grand jury proceedings and then having that judge who they handpicked stay on the case. That was litigated, was brought in action by New York criminal defense lawyers years ago. The court said, well, you don't have a constitutional right on the state to a particular judge or to go into the wheel for random selection. But when the case was brought in federal court, the federal court said, had this been on direct appeal, there's a very good chance we would have said this has at least the appearance of impropriety. Uh, we should not allow this kind of selection. Now in this case, they're claiming that the chief administrative judge put this Judge Murchan on the case uh, because it was necessary for his expertise or something like that. It looks terrible. You need, in a case like this, you're prosecuting a former president of the United States, trying to stop him from being able to run by tying him up all the time. You need to be more than above board in the case if you want the American people to accept the result. The American people are speaking. One of the reasons he's soaring in the polls, as I say.
0: Uh, It's also my understanding that, in this case, Judge Merchant gave a $50 contribution to the presidential campaign of Joe Biden. Uh, yeah. would, would that alone not be enough for the judge himself to realize that he has the appearance at, at a minimum of bias?
1: Should have been, but he got an opinion, uh, opinion letter from an ethics board saying, well, that's a de minimis, de minimis contribution, therefore it shouldn't be disqualifying. They're missing the point here. Our justice system is only as good as the public's confidence in its fairness and integrity. There's no objective person who could look at this, hear the judge's comments about President Trump in the past, see what his agenda is, and think it's appropriate for him to sit on this case, or that the case should be able to go forward as a matter of due process, Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights here, the way it has been charged.
0: Uh, look, since I am a, uh, obviously a strong and vocal supporter of uh, Donald Trump, I do feel it's necessary for me to point out that David Schoen uh, is not a Republican, has represented the Democratic Party in a number of important voting rights cases uh, in the South. Uh, And uh, therefore, I rely on him today for his uh, political, pardon me, his legal expertise. Uh, I think it's fair to say that in representing President Trump, uh, he developed a personal affinity for him. But I think his views are uh, objective. Let's uh, turn, if we may, uh, to the so-called documents case. Uh, This one is a head scratcher as well. Uh, President uh, Trump argues uh, that under the 1977 Presidential Documents Act that he, as president, is entitled to do whatever he wants uh, with his uh, presidential documents, uh, and he points to a decision by Judge Amy Berman Jackson, the judge who sat in my case, uh, that allowed Bill Clinton to keep his personal documents, in his case, in his sock draw, Uh, David, do you think that that is going to be an effective defense uh, in that case?
1: Yeah, the Presidential Records Act certainly is one of the primary defenses the lawyers intend to pursue. It must really stick in Judge Amy Berman Jackson's cross, and she's really one of the most notorious Trump haters on that bench that unfortunately was a great court at one time but has now become uh, filled almost with uh, Trump haters. Um, But anyway, yeah, and so her decision essentially says – that the president has the discretion to determine what are presidential documents and what are personal documents and that he that he would have had that right is the defense. I think there's even a more basic um, impediment to this prosecution and that is the uh, decision by another real Trump-hating judge, Judge Beryl Howell, who was then the chief judge in the district court in DC, turning over almost in wholesale fashion President Trump's lawyer Evan Corcoran's notes, his notes to himself and to the file on observations in the case without giving him a chance to check any redactions in the case and that sort of thing. Um, that clearly, in my view, was inappropriate. She found it satisfied the crime fraud exception, apparently. Um, it, it, it's impossible to believe that all of those notes did. And uh, I think at the end of the day, if it goes forward, Evan Corcoran going to end up being a great witness for President Trump to explain what his notes meant. But I think that turning over those notes tainted the entire grand jury process, and therefore the indictment in the case, and ought to be thrown out on those grounds alone before even getting to the other question. And then, of course, for public, from the public's perception, the idea that, you know, you have to show that someone, uh, knowingly, and willfully acted uh, under this case, knowing, knowing they were doing something the law prohibited by having these documents. Donald Trump was a newcomer to politics and certainly to the Presidential Records Act and all of this, Now, while they want to say, well, some of his advisors told him he couldn't have this, others told him it was up to him. And so he's entitled to believe who he believed. It's his state of mind that controls. I can tell you he didn't believe he was doing anything wrong. But on the other hand, we see President Biden with documents apparently containing classified information in all sorts of places where they shouldn't have been. He's a guy who's been in politics his entire life, his entire adult life. So if anyone should have known... Uh, and therefore acted willfully, and it wasn't entitled to those documents. And uh, that should have been President Biden, who wasn't president at the time, and therefore didn't have the same rights under the Presidential Records Act. Um, so we'll see. There's a report, you know, that he met with the special counsel has been assigned to him this past week, on a couple of occasions, but we haven't seen any prosecution there. Um, I don't know if there should be, but if there isn't, then there sh- certainly shouldn't be of Donald Trump.
0: Well, we also don't, don't seem to have any leaks out of that investigation, yeah, right? whereas all these other investigations seem to leak like a sieve. Folks, if you're just tuning in, I'm Roger Stone. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC Radio, and we're interviewing one of the country's most prominent criminal defense attorneys, David Schoen, uh, and we're very, very happy to have him with us on this beautiful Sunday afternoon, David. Uh, two cases. I guess you have to see in similar context uh, the the Washington D.C. case brought by Special Counsel Jack Smith, uh, and the Georgia case uh, brought by Fannie Wills. In both cases, it appears to me that Donald Trump is being charged with questioning the outcome of an election. Yeah, uh, and that that. Somehow become a crime. I would think that his that it's within his First Amendment rights to question an election.
1: Yeah, and and beyond that, it's possible. Uh, I think he certainly has a fair argument to be made that he had an obligation. His obligation under the Constitution is to ensure fairness of the elections and the uh, that the laws of the United States are faithfully executed. Took an oath of office for that. The Constitution requires it, and under the faithfully executed clause, um, he, if he believed that the election uh, was marked by fraud or what they call, you know, uh, um, stolen or election fraud, and so on, whatever term one used, that there were improprieties in the election, his argument would be that under the Constitution he had an obligation to investigate and to question and to test those things. Um, you know, so again, they want to say in both cases, well, but other people around him told him that uh, the election was fair and they didn't have evidence of it. Well, Bernie Kerrick, who you know did a lot of the investigation for him, would tell you that he provided President Trump with reams and reams of evidence reflecting uh, improprieties in the election. Whether one believes that those things were accurate or not, the point here is when you're charging a person criminally, what did the defendant believe? The defendant certainly believed. I can tell you from his, in his heart and soul, Donald Trump believes that the election was stolen from him, that there was fraud that uh, determined the election. That's his belief. Everyone is entitled to disagree or agree with it. But what matters is his mens rea, his state of mind for these criminal prosecutions. You can argue at the polls, oh, don't vote for Donald Trump because, you know, he's claiming election fraud and you don't believe that happened, or his supporters uh, at least half the country, it would appear, would say no. Vote for Donald Trump because the last election was stolen from him. Either way, those are political discussions to have, and anyone is entitled their position, whether it's fact-based or not. What you can't do is charge someone criminally without showing that that person had that mens rea. Now, that's state of mind, a criminal state of mind, in both cases, you know, the prosecutors are going to claim that's what they can prove, and part of it is they say, well, this one heard him say that he knew. You know this was a phony claim and all that. Listen, I'm telling you today. Uh, speak to him regularly. Donald Trump believes that the election was stolen from him, and he acted accordingly. He acted what he believed that the Constitution required, and what lawyers around him told him the Constitution required, and that must be done to ensure fair elections. They want to say, well, he didn't have any authority in a state election. It wasn't a state election. It's an election for the presidency of the United States that took place in the state as that as they always occur.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. Also, the the this entire argument, which is not constitutionally historically correct, uh, I have never advocated the formulation of uh, uh, of panels of fake electors. But it is beyond dispute that Article Two of the U.S. Constitution grants to the pow- grants the state legislatures the power to award the presidential electors to a candidate for president based on the results uh, of the uh, of the election returns within that state Uh, and to say uh, well uh, you know there was some wholesale fraud here we have a a, we have a historical precedent in 1960 uh, in hawaii it was thought election night uh, that vice president richard nixon had carried the state of hawaii Uh, his electors were actually approved Uh, The supporters of John F. Kennedy objected. They formed a slate of alternative electors. Uh, And in the final analysis, uh, when all of the absentee ballots were counted, JFK had in fact carried Hawaii. Uh, The the Nixon electors uh, were essentially uh, deselected. Uh, The Kennedy electors were selected and went to the electoral college. Uh, I don't know Professor Eastman. Uh, I've never read his famous memo, uh, nor do I know this other fellow, Chesborough. But it it seems to me that they had at least an underlying legal claim, particularly in Georgia, it seems, which seems to me to be a carbon copy of the D.C. case in, in many ways. Again, someplace I had no direct or indirect involvement other than reading about it, it's really the same case. In other words, Trump, the claim is Trump knew he lost the election and he was conspiring with others to hold on to power. I don't think that's an accurate depiction of what happened.
1: No, I don't believe that either, but you're right that that's what both cases charge essentially. And it doesn't really matter, quite frankly, from a criminal perspective, if Eastman or Chesborough were right this is the information provided to President Trump. He's not a lawyer. Uh, he's entitled to rely on lawyers. Um, but, you know, one of the things, from my perspective, at least, that's so confounding about it is the laws on how the electoral uh, uh, college works and how a state binds its electors vary among the states. It's a morass. Um, and so in some states, the electors are, must vote the way the state uh, election came out. In others, uh, you know, you have faithless um, uh, electors who cannot vote for the candidate who won that state, and therefore they're entitled, they're not bound under state law. Um, so that varies. What also varies is there's a, one of the leading experts on election laws, a Trump hater, um, has written and said that for anyone to say what Mike Pence's, uh, Vice President Pence's authority was. Uh, at the time on the House floor that's gotten so much press, and so on that that's crystal clear, doesn't know what they're talking about. He said that nobody really understands what the authority is under the statute. Um, And, you know, he is someone who thinks President Trump was wrong, but he made clear that it's a very unclear area of the law. And so, again, we don't charge those kinds of things as criminal conduct.
0: All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Let me thank our special guest, criminal defense lawyer, David Schoen, for joining us on The Roger Stone Show today. Uh, I'm very, very grateful that you could join us, David. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.
1: Thank you very much. You too.